Turn your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15, 1548 this morning. I'll wait. You go ahead and find it. I'll wait for a moment. Okay, there is no Mark 1548. You do your homework. I, I've been told a hundred times my passage does not exist. That really means a lot that you're, you're reading ahead of time. And But that's the point, isn't it? We go from Good Friday to Resurrection Sunday, skipping the Saturday in between. Oh, we know what to do on Friday. We mourn because on this day our Christ was crucified. It's on this day that we imagine the nails piercing his hands and his feet and the thorns bruising his brow the hurled insults from the soldiers in the crowd stinging like stones. We know what to do on Friday. Friday is a day of devastation. It's a day of standing and staring at the cross where the one that you love the most has been crucified. We're, we're also well aware of what to do on Sunday. On Sunday, we do not stare at the cross. Rather, we gaze at an empty tomb and we celebrate light and life. For the earth had been dark and death seemingly had defeated the Messiah. On Sunday, on Easter, we celebrate the most important event ever in the history of humanity, the resurrection of Jesus the Nazarene from the dead. On Friday, we know how to worship. We mourn and we gather in solemn assemblies and it's dark. And on Easter, we declare to each other, He is risen, He is risen indeed, He is risen, He is risen indeed. Just like those first believers did on that very first Easter. But, but what? I ask you this morning, what do we do with Saturday? Saturday, between Friday and Sunday on Holy Week, doesn't get any press, does it? We have a worship service on Good Friday, a time of celebration on Easter Sunday, but Saturday is absolutely silent. Saturday is time waiting, the horrid time of waiting. Saturday is a day of waiting, waiting and watching and longing and hoping. That's Saturday. Waiting is so hard, isn't it? Most hospitals, they have something called a waiting room. You might as well relabor it, the torture chamber right there on the door. It seemed like the only honest thing to do. It doesn't matter how plush the carpet is. It doesn't matter how many televisions adorn the wall for your entertainment while you hurt or how many Coke machines are in the lobby or snack machines. It is still torture. One writer said, is there any more, anything more annoyingly exasperating experience in civilized life than being at the wrong end of an interminable serpentine line of humanity? And the slowest, most frustrating line in all the world is the emergency room, is it not? You slip on the ice and you hear that crunch and you hit the ground and you make it quickly to the hospital. I don't know why we all think we have to get there so quickly because when you get there, you're going to wait get there in a place that's like a shopping mall 
the day after Thanksgiving. There are squabbling babies and they're bleeding do-it-yourselfers and they're frightened wheezing great-grandfathers and all of them desperate, all of you, all of them ahead of you and you're throbbing back from your fall. And everyone there feels equally awful and everyone is resentful to have to wait in line for medical attention. Everybody in the room is surly and snappish and snarling. The waiting room. Sometimes you wait an hour. <laughs> Sometimes you wait six hours in the emergency room. Time spent waiting seems like lost time. Or perhaps some of you like waiting on the tarmac at DFW, the blazing sun of August. For some reason, you're your plane, usually the one going to Amarillo, has been selected to sit on the tarmac. Have you noticed? I begin to get a little hint of claustrophobia. I've got a little bit of that. Accompanied by the fact that while they say they have their air conditioning on, on the tarmac it never feels like it does in the air. At least it doesn't to me. And the kid behind you kicks your chair three times and the guy right beside you is sleeping and drooling as if he doesn't know how horrible it is right now and he needs to wake up and learn we are in a bad experience and you're not going to sit there and sleep through this. The flight attendant informs you after two hours of waiting on the tarmac <laughs> that you're going back to the hub because there's been mechanical failure on your plane. Perhaps the best one happened in 1999 when Floyd Dean was trapped aboard a Northwest flight waiting for a flight from Las Vegas to Detroit. He was so exasperated with a lack of decent food on the airplane. While they waited, he just got off the plane. He held a cab. He went into town to the strip. He got something to eat, and he came back to the plane, and the plane had not yet taken off. It couldn't because Floyd Dean was a pilot. <laughs> 150 passengers waited for Floyd Dean to get himself some decent food. I am so pleased to tell you that Floyd Dean was fired and he's no longer with Northwest Airlines. Airlines the United States, I looked it up this week, performed worse in 2019 than they did the year before in getting flights to the destination on time. While the share of flights that were canceled climbed for the third straight year, overall 21% of flights are delayed and about 2% of flights are absolutely canceled. That would be a higher number for Amarillo. But whenever you book a flight, you need to know there's a 25% chance you're not going to get there on time. Just when you book it, know you're not, 25% chance you will not get there on time. And airlines reported 302 tarmac delays longer than three hours. 302 people in a year waited on the tarmac, 302 flights. Thousands of people for three hours. 26 waited four hours. I'm sitting here thinking, why aren't you reporting the one hour and the two hours if that's okay? Waiting on the tarmac two hours. Sometimes waiting is unbearable. Like waiting for your lost child to be found. Can you imagine that kind of waiting? Torture of all tortures. Every moment seemed like a month, and every second seemed like a whole season. He was gone. They looked up to count heads while juggling the spring bedding begonias, and three kids only discover the youngest 
a two-year-old twin, had disappeared in the suburban jungle. More quickly and quietly than the snake might slither away unnoticed, without a sound, without fanfare, he was just gone. Panic starts off as a soft whisper, but soon it deafens your drums. You convince yourself for the first 30 seconds that losing your two-year-old is no big deal. It'll all be okay. But after a minute, the passion of panic is overwhelming. Dad runs to the street, the first point of danger. Mom calls the grandparents, the neighbors, anyone who might help. An older sister calls his name, Blake, Blake, only be slapped by stunned silence, and she whimpers a cry. Hysteria. Hysteria attacks mom as neighbors comb the streets in the back alleys. He was just here, and where could he possibly be, and why didn't we watch, and well, why won't he answer our cries? You know those times that are awful when you wait. You wait for hope. You pray for relief. You ponder the possibilities, and you fear the worst. Has evil been lurking in the shadows for our little boy? Waiting, waiting to hug your son and know that at last, at last he has been found. Time passes when your child is lost as if you're holding your breath underwater. Tension rises and hope sinks. Frantically, though she had done so many times already, mom checked his room. Just once more, was it instinct? Was it a mother's intuition? She walks back to his bedroom, compelled by fear, driven by hope, carried by grace, and a toe. Just a fat toe sticking out from underneath his crib's plaid dust ruffle. Perhaps he turned in his sleep and a a toe's worth of hope emerged where there had been none before. Despite umpteen trips into his bedroom, He was safely, soundly asleep beneath his bed, curled up under his crib, a place where he had never slept before. While all others in his two-year-old world were wringing their hands and halting their hearts, a chubby toe ends the waiting and halts the horror, a toe's worth of hope. What about the disciples? They had seen their Lord their master, their savior, crucified. They had left everything to follow him. They had abandoned their business. They had waved goodbye to their families. They had walked lockstep behind their rabbi for three years. And now, and now just when they needed Jesus the most, he was gone. The images of their Friday were almost surreal swirling around in their heads like a movie that had no pause, no stop button. There was no way the horror could be ejected. If they crucified our teacher, if they crucified him, there's a good chance it will be next. Peter had gone so far as to say, I don't even know the man. He cursed and walked away. They were not looking for a resurrected Messiah. Rather, they were sitting and waiting and stunned silent that only the pressure of real panic can produce. It's those hard-to-handle gaps in life. Those times between the panic of Friday and the joy of Sunday. It's those 
holy Saturdays. Sometimes they get us the most, how do you do it? How do you handle life when nothing happens? How do you fill up those hard-to-endure dry spells that choke out your days? How do you keep the faith when God seems to be keeping secrets more than he's keeping promises? How do you wait? How do you live through the Saturday between the cross and the resurrection? Saturday, indeed, there were many loose ends and much unfinished business for the followers of Jesus. Mary of Magdala, Simon Peter, the others, all they can do is wait. This is a day for discernment for them, for discovery between the crucifixion and the possibility of change. This is the time between dreams, a time without a name, an empty space in the world, and a lifetime within which a new sense of the world could emerge. I'm the worst waiter in the world, but waiting changes us. So painful, so painful, and yet so transforming. Each holy Saturday, each day of waiting is in some ways a sacred gift from God that reminds us that we ourselves are not ultimately in control of anything. We don't control our destinies. Waiting teaches us tolerance and trust and patience and endurance. Waiting waiting we discover that life comes after death and joy follows sorrow and hope defeats despair. We will look a bit at Mark chapter 16 there in verse 10. This is Mary of Magdala. She went and reported to those who had been with him while they were mourning and weeping. Have you ever noticed that passage? An angelic being had ordered Mary Magdalene to go and tell the disciples and Peter that Jesus is alive. She reported the good news to those who had followed him, those who had been with him. But notice how she found them. They were in the state that they were in on that Saturday. They were mourning and weeping. Between Friday and Sunday, they are, they're weeping. In fact, verse 11 says, and when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by Mary, they refused to believe it. They actually refused to believe the good news of the gospel that Jesus was alive. Verse 14, and afterwards he appeared to the 11 disciples and they were crying at the table and he reproached them for their unbelief and their hardness of heart because they had not believed those who had seen him after he had risen. Finally, when Jesus himself arrives in their midst, he rebukes them for their hardness of heart and their refusal to believe. The problem with Holy Saturday is you only have half the news. You have the news of his death, but no report of the resurrection. Waiting 
is hard. They say a trial lawyer's toughest job is waiting for a verdict. Attorney George Wilson treats himself to a good lunch while he's waiting on the jury's verdict. Lou DeVoto, another trial attorney, talks to his clients, sometimes wasting away the hours. Glenn Zeitz says he just bites his nails while the jury is out. There's not much else for them to do or the other South Jersey attorneys to do while waiting the verdict when a jury deliberates the fate of their client at a trial. Day after day, you wait while the jury deliberates. One attorney, Jeffrey Zucker, said, I pace a lot. He said, one time during a 13-day wait on a federal trial, I went back and forth so many times that I literally wore out a pair of shoes pacing and waiting. Attorney Dennis Wickstead says he goes to his office to uh, get some paperwork done until they call him and say the jury's about to emerge. When he's in the courthouse, they say he's there, usually with a statute book in his lap, but people notice he never turns a page. It's hard to do anything to refocus your mind when you're waiting on the verdict. One attorney said you go through the whole trial again like a movie in your mind. You play back each scene. You think of what you could have said differently, how you could have postured yourself differently. You think of the jurors. Should you have challenged this one or challenged another one? And when the jury sends out a question, you think of all the horrible reasons they're asking that question, and you find out when it's over you're wrong about every supposition. Waiting. Waiting is hard. Maybe the hospital's taken certain tests. And how they turn out, time will eventually tell. And your life may depend exactly on how those tests turn out. So you lie there in the dark, straining to hear time's tell ahead of time. Because waiting time is always time strained and time searched and time listened to until past time and present time and future time all start to whisper at once. The past and all of its preciousness and never more precious than it is when you're waiting. And the present and its dark impenetrability and the future, whatever form is going to come, and morning will come at last, and the, with it the word you wait for will be spoken at last, the word that you hope for and long for until you can already hear it, the word which, of course, will give you back the rest of your life. Waiting. Waiting between jobs. Waiting for test results. Waiting between relationships. Waiting on God. Henry Nowen in his book, Sabbatical Journeys, talks about friends of his who are trapeze artists. The flying Rudeus. One thing they told Henry Nowen was this. There's a very special relationship between the flyer and the catcher has an important relationship, especially to the flyer. 
They're swinging back and forth and back and forth, and there is that moment when you have to totally let go of the bar, and the flyer is just to arc her back and hold her hands out, and all she can do is wait for the catcher to catch. Now, they told him the flyer can never try to catch the catcher. It'll be a disaster. That all the flyer can do is extend her arms and wait. And it will seem, it will seem like an eternity, but the flyer can simply wait and trust. And the catcher will catch her, but all she can do in between the bars is wait. The disciples waited. They were uncertain. They were unsure. They were frightened. They were crippled by chaos. They waited. There didn't really seem to be much else they could do. When she finds them, they're mourning and weeping and crying and waiting. Jesus is dead. Maybe you're waiting this morning. What word best describes you? Lonely? Hurt? Afraid, feeling inadequate, misunderstood, discouraged, forsaken, abused, unglued, depressed, lukewarm, anxious, waiting. Life is a series of trips to the waiting room, waiting for birth after conception. Waiting for the kids to launch their life after graduation. Waiting for another job after a layoff. Waiting for a new relationship after a separation. Waiting for the treatment to begin the regimen after a diagnosis. Waiting for a new sense of identity. Who am I now that I'm retired? Waiting for plenty after poverty. Waiting for healing and reconciliation when things have fallen apart. Waiting for hope after the death of someone you love. We can only imagine that the caterpillar in Alice in Wonderland must have met Alice on a holy Saturday. Who are you, he asked. I, I, I hardly know, sir, just at the present Alice replied rather shyly. At least I know who I was when I got up this morning, but I think I, I must have changed several times since then. That's the kind of day that Mary Magdalene and all the followers of Jesus were having in this gospel account. They felt lost and vulnerable and unsure, and they were waiting, not even sure what was next. They were changing. Everything was changing. They were waiting, waiting perhaps for just a toe worth of hope. But they got more than a toe's worth of hope. They got a bodily resurrection. Christ is alive, and death has been defeated. It's the good news of Easter that I shout this morning. 
Christ is risen. Christ is saving. Christ is healing. Christ is protecting. Christ is leading. Christ is calling. Christ is alive. I don't know what you're waiting on this morning. But could there possibly be a better word than the tomb is empty? Could there possibly be more peace to enter our lives than that 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 enters today? Following the resurrection of Christ. For if we die with him, we likewise rise with him. Some of you here this morning, you find yourself on that Friday still locked in panic, and others find yourself this morning on that Saturday waiting away, confused, depressed, and unsure. And today, let's all draw ourselves to the first Sunday. Let's all hear the words of the divine being who say to Mary of Magdalene, why are you looking for Jesus of the Nazarene? He is not here. He is alive. Behold, behold, the place is empty where they laid him. Go and tell. Saturday is over. Wait no more. Sunday is here. He is alive. Let's pray. Oh, God, this many folks here and folks streaming and watching on TV, there's a lot of waiting going on. Sometimes you seem so silent and so far away, and Father, today we, we come to you and admit that we can't control anything. And even who, those who find themselves in the waiting room, I pray that you wait beside them and they feel your presence and your peace. And God, if it's really over, if the tomb of our Jesus really, really is empty, and I know that it is, then we can wait on anything. For the ultimate enemy, death, has been defeated by the ultimate victor, the Christ. He is alive. The waiting is over. Amen.